I want to thank Research FDI for sponsoring today's podcast. They're a globally renowned lead generation firm that helps economic development organizations create real prospects. They've helped over 500 economic development organizations. Let me tell you exactly what they do. They facilitate one-on-one meetings for economic developers with corporate executives who will have projects soon. They can facilitate these meetings to where you travel to the corporate executive's office and meet them there, or you meet them at a trade show, or even have a conference call with them so you don't have to pay for travel. They recently launched a service called FDI 365, which provides you a lead a day of fast-growing companies that will be expanding soon. Their research has helped over $5 billion worth of projects get cited since inception. I encourage you to go to www.researchfdi.com to learn more about Research FDI. As far as I'm concerned, they are absolutely the best lead generation firm in the business for economic developers. Call them at 514-488-3168 and see how Research FDI can help you create real prospects. Hello, this is Chad Chancellor with Next Move Group. Before we begin today's podcast, if you've been enjoying our podcast series, Please go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. That'll sure help us out. We'd appreciate it a whole lot. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Next Move Group, We Are Jobs podcast. I'm your CEO, Chuck Sexton, and today I am joined by Tim Weston, Vice President of Business Development at Jesco Construction. Thanks for being with me today, Tim. Yeah, glad to be here. I uh, I just took a drink of water, so I had to pause for a second, but I uh, I noticed you were on the college football preview last week. The podcast I got kicked off of, because, you know, they had Alex <laughs> talk about Kentucky, so why, why would you need me in there? Maybe I wanted to talk about Murray State University. Yeah. <laughs> had Appalachian State, so why not Murray State, right? It was all SEC until you threw Dennis Jarvis in there. <laughs> Appalachian State, Dennis, Dennis. You were right, though. Vanderbilt easily handled Hawaii. Goodness gracious. Yeah, let's stop the season. Let's <laughs> stop the season, call it good, carry a trophy down Nashville, down Broadway, and let's just focus on baseball. What I yeah, think. yeah, that's right. Um, I uh, I don't know. I, I think what I need to do because I don't think Chad's ever done this before. Since I've always been more of a basketball fan, I think I need to do a college basketball preview episode. Do something similar. There you go. I'm trying to or stick- at least a March Madness. Oh, I'm definitely doing a March Madness one. You can count on that. But I'm just thinking about the season too. Yeah, yeah, that'd be good. So. Jesco and Next Move Group, we work together quite often uh, on different projects. There's some things that we uh, partner up on, uh, especially uh, site feasibility, site certifications, and, of course, site selection. And all those obviously work hand-in-hand with each other. And uh, we've got several projects we've got going on right now. But I think it'd be good for, you know, folks out there to hear from someone like Tim. I mean, Jesco, and I'll let you tell, tell a little bit about Jesco for those who don't know. Yeah, so Jesco is part of the Yates companies. Um, you know, Jesco is completely focused on constructing, designing, and constructing manufacturing facilities in automotive, aviation, aluminum, uh, metals, food and beverage. We're um, engineering news and record. We're number three uh, in manufacturing. We're typically number one, number two in automotive, 
really strong in paper and pulp. So uh, yeah, we're just a 82 year old uh, design build construction company that really kind of focuses on building manufacturing facilities, which means, you know, we work a lot with economic development folks uh, throughout the Southeast, the Midwest, uh, really now throughout the country. Yeah. And your background isn't just in construction. I think it's good for folks to understand you've seen it from pretty much every angle. Yeah. So I got in this business backwards, really, because of some experiences I had uh, in college. I actually started as a consultant. So, um, you know, I, I got the opportunity to do some site location work and uh, setting up economic development organizations, uh, you know, my first couple of years in the business. Then I wanted to uh, kind of learn it from the grassroots. So I was executive director of a local county economic development organization that had a port, owned a railroad, short line railroad, did that for seven years, um, had the opportunity to join John Bradley and Heidi Smith. Uh, on the management team at TVA, spent almost 10 years at TVA doing economic development in a, you know, a seven state area uh, and now with Jesco. So I've, I have had the opportunity to see economic development from a lot of different angles. And, and I'll say each angle is a little bit unique and it has its own thing. So, you know, I've really been lucky to, to do that. Well, it's a lot of experience and and obviously, uh, you know, when we have site location projects that we're working on, it adds to uh, our um, our team quite a bit to have Tim as a part of that team uh, and to work with our clients. Obviously, uh, you know, we want to see Jesco uh, get opportunities out there uh, every time they, they get a chance, but they don't need us to get those opportunities. They've got plenty on their plate as it is. What uh, What are some of the projects that you can talk about that you're working on right now as a company? Yeah, so, you know, Jesco does not only construction engineering, but we've got a big mechanical electrical group. We've got an industrial services group. So, um, you know, with the Yates companies, we had the opportunity almost 15 years ago to construct the first electric vehicle battery facility for Nissan. Um, and then we backed that up and went over to Nevada and did the, the second major facility in the U.S. for Tesla. That really positioned us. So as you can imagine, a lot of electric vehicle and auto battery, lithium battery projects are out there right now. And Jesco and working with Yates and, um, you know, right now, so we're, we've done a number of things down in Austin for, for Tesla, um, you know, Envision, which is, you know, part of that initial Nissan project. They just had their groundbreaking in Bowling Green uh, this week, Stellantis. Mm -hmm. Um, the Stellantis project in Indiana, um, you know, a couple of LG projects that we're working on. And then, uh, you know, we've got a couple of more projects that have announced that we're in pursuit of. And so, you know, a lot of electric vehicle automotive work, um, you know, whether that's an EV, straight EV or battery. Oh, and we're also doing some, some of the work at the Ford facility in West Tennessee. So, you know, just a lot of all of this stuff is happening. Um, you know, all the OEMs have an EV lithium battery project at the same time. So that is just a ton of work going on in that EV battery space. And then, but honestly, we're picking up projects in food and beverage. Um, you know, there's still a number of beverage projects out there. There's some uh, food, cold storage warehouse projects. We, we've got a couple of projects projects in that sector. We're obviously working with y'all on a project on the steel sector. We're in final pursuit phases on some aluminum projects. Um, you know, so the metals, we're, we're seeing metals projects, fabrication, steel, aluminum, 
Um, and then aviation, you know, Melissa working kind of heads our aviation group for Jesco and the Yates companies. And, you know, she's constantly just kicked off a project for mass aviation, which is a paint facility, repeat client of ours to um, paint the planes down in Mobile for Airbus. We've done a lot of work for Airbus over the years, been very fortunate to work with them in both Mobile and the aviation side, as well as the helicopter side. So um, EV lithium batteries is kind of leading the charge, but I'll be honest, we're seeing projects kind of seeing a pretty steady flow of projects in all of our target sectors. Yeah, it seems like the EV side kind of dominates the headlines a lot and dominates, you know, our minds in economic development, economic developers, minds, especially in the Southeast and Midwest, but there's raw materials projects, the semiconductors, the chips. I mean, you think about all the different things out there. And then you talked about aviation airspace. Hell, we've got, um, I guess, three uh, that we're talking to right now to potentially kick off site selection in the air aerospace sector over the next three to six months. So I think that <clears throat> prognosticating here a little bit about the recession, which we're already slightly in, I, I have told a few people, I think it's going to get a little worse uh, over the winter months, but then it's going to kick back up as all this construction really kicks off in the spring and the summer. That's That's been my thought process on it. Yeah, you know, so I, I, there'll be some projects that back up because recession, recessionary things kind of hit them. You know, the cost increases kind of hit their anticipated budgets. The schedule delays kind of push their projects out further than they wanted to. So um, I, I think you're right, but I also believe um, there's going to, it's, you know, activity is going to stay fairly steady. I mean, I think you're going to see more FDI come in. You know, FDI, I think has been pretty slow the last two or three years. I think that's going to kick up a little bit and that'll help things out. And honestly, we're coming off of, so I, I've been in this business for 27 years and we're coming off of the, probably the hottest nine to 12 months that I've ever seen in the history. I've talked to people at our company that's been here 40, 50 years. They're saying the same thing. So will it slow down? Yeah. Uh, but it almost had to slow down. Uh, but I think, for the economic developers out there, I think we're going to continue to see, going to continue to see activity, um, and and I would say to them, you know, continue to develop your product um, because you know we're a lot of these projects have taken up some pretty good product, um, and you know there's not as much good product out there as there once was twelve months ago, two years ago. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, and, and and on the FDI piece too, I agree. Um, we've got three. FDI site selection projects right now out there. Um, hopefully, two of those will be uh, announcing in the next six to eight weeks, uh, and I think the third one will be not too far behind that one for the before the beginning of the year. So, um, you know, you, you mentioned folks need to be out there preparing product. Is and I know what we've seen together, but what would what advice would you give to economic developers along those lines of product development that they need to be focused on uh, to try to grab some of these opportunities? Yeah. So, you know, I would just, I, I always like to start it because I was at the local level. So I know how difficult it is at the local level to do economic development. Um, I also know that the product piece is getting more and more expensive. Uh, you know, land's getting, the dirt's getting more expensive. Infrastructure's getting more expensive. Uh, it's a challenge for you, electric utilities um, with all these big projects um, to provide electrical power. I mean, I understand all the challenges. 
but at the end of the day, um, at the end of the day, product is, it, it, it may be the, the most important thing. It shouldn't be, but it, it probably is the most important thing. And you can't sell out of an empty wagon and all of those sayings. Um, if you, you know, and I also believe a lot of small communities, unfortunately, probably can't get in the economic development game consistently. Um, and that's just a tough thing. But, I, you know, I, I just understand there are some limitations in smaller rural communities. But if you're sitting in an area that has activity, that has a history of activity, that has all of the things in place from a population and labor force and all of those things, you have got to focus on developing product. And when I think of developing product, I'm not talking about just the land acquisition. I'm talking about the infrastructure in place, talking about the sites leveled, graded, compacted in a better case scenario, um, you know, getting a, a site to where a client can come in and within 12 months, they can be, uh, they can be in operation. That's what I'm talking about. So, um, it, you know, if you're not doing it, that's what you got to be focused on. Don't, it's easy to get distracted at the local level. Every politician walks through your doors, got their own special case and things that need to be important. Um, but product needs to be the top of your list. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree with that. The, um, had a conversation today with one of our clients about the fact that, you know, they might need to uh, really hone in on their site and go ahead and get that thing announced because they don't want competition uh, in their industry um, getting near their space, getting near their market. And then you have all these other industries, all these big announcements that are encroaching upon these sites as well, that you, you have a likelihood of losing your site if you sit on it too long. And so, and it's because there's everyone's product poor. Uh, I'm doing a building search. It's been not just, not just sites, but I'm doing a building search right now for one of our FDI clients in Virginia, North Carolina, Tennessee, and um, Kentucky, uh, uh, Southeastern Kentucky. And uh, it's difficult. There's not a lot of options out there for just a run of the mill, 60,000 square foot industrial building. I mean, they've got some, but there's not a lot to choose from. So are you seeing anybody doing spec building programs or, or, you know, where, where, where are you thinking on that? Yeah. So, um, you know, we're building a spec building for Joe Max Higgins um, and Agricel right now. In the Starbucks. legend Joe Max Higgins. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, and that's the thing, look, I've been saying this for a long time. When, when I was at TVA, I would go around and give a lot of speeches at annual meetings and, to, to county governments and, and, you know, trying to help local economic developers. You know, there are, there are people and there are communities that win year after year after year. And it's not by accident. Um, sometimes they're graced with just great logistics. Sometimes they're graced with, you know, they're just, you know, a Nashville that just a lot of things going on. Um, but I, you know, most of the time, there's a reason that communities are successful year in and year out. And it's because they they prioritize economic development and the local governments and the private sector make the investments to and not just competitive, but better position than everybody else. So, yeah, we've um, spec buildings we've done. We've done, you know, the CDF in Tupelo, Mississippi, which is a, probably one of the grandfathers of rural economic development kind of organization um you know do it really well we we build a building for them about every year to two 
years uh, in Alabama and um, Tennessee about spec buildings recently. So, and, and like you said, there a lot of the good buildings have been taken up. I'm actually a little surprised, honestly, that all of the good buildings haven't been taken up. There was that much activity going on uh, at one point, say six months ago. But um, there's no doubt that a lot of the good buildings, say 80, 85% of the good buildings uh, have been taken up at this point. Yeah. And by the way, uh, for those who are the uninitiated, we do uh, record these via Zoom and every now and then have a little internet instability. So <laughs> you may hear a skip and a jump there, but don't worry. You just keep listening. It's fine. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. I want to thank LocationOne.com. Some of you know it as Lois for sponsoring today's podcast. In my opinion, Lois is the best buildings and sites database on the market. One of the reasons I think that is it gives you nationwide exposure. So I used to be the economic developer in Paducah, Kentucky, and I made a terrible mistake. I only put my buildings and sites on the Kentucky Economic Development Buildings and Sites database. Well, Paducah bordered Illinois and was within 30 or so miles of Missouri, Indiana, and Tennessee. So what sense did it make for me to not put my bills and sites on a nationwide database? Well, Lois does that for you. Looking back, I should have put my bills and sites on Lois. It's also easy to use for an economic developer. It's just like using Facebook. It walks you through how to insert your pictures and your information and so forth. And the thing I like most it works well on my iPad. If I'm in an industrial building, I want to be able to look at that thing on my iPad. Lois does that for me. Other buildings and sites databases struggle with that. So if you got 10 or 15 minutes to spare, go over to location1.com, book yourself a demo, and see if this can help your community have more success. So... Well, I want to jump back a little bit here. We were talking about the battery um, market and the EV market, and there's a couple of shows coming up you're going to. And I'm curious what advice you might give to economic developers who might be going to those shows, or maybe they haven't even signed up for them, but they're coming up quick. And, you know, is that something economic developers should attend? Yeah. So it's like with any show. Um you know, as, a, as an economic developer on the regional level, on the local level in, in particular, you really got to know who your target sectors are. And I think you got to understand those sectors well enough and understand why you are better positioned than a lot of other people to make you successful in that sector. And if you are in a position based on good research to, to you know, to go after clients in that sector, then, then that is part of what you ought to be doing. You ought to be going to these sector-based trade shows. Uh, you know, we'll just, just go under the Yates flag. We'll have a booth at the Novi show coming up, you know, middle of this month, middle of September. Um, you know, I think I told you we had a booth there last year. It's in my 27 years of going to trade shows. It's the most active show I've ever attended last year. Uh, last year is all about the OEMs. So, you know, we met with, and we met with all of them, really met with most of them in the first morning. Um, but I think this year's show will be all about the suppliers. Yep. It'd be interesting to see and talk to and see what the activity level is. 
you know, the thing about EV lithium batteries, um, you know, in automotive OEM projects, let's say tip on a typical time frame, we see one or two, and you know, maybe in the heat of the southeast, when they were really rolling out a lot of automotive projects, you might see two OEMs in a year announced and start constructing. I mean, realize that in the last 12 months or say 18 month period, we're going to see almost all of them announce a project, a major project. And in some cases, two. So it's not two a year. Uh, we're going to see all of them announced. I mean, we're talking about 12, 13, 14 projects in a, you know, 18 month period are going to be announced. And all of the suppliers that, you know, in a sec, in an industry that by and large isn't located in the U.S. right now. So these suppliers are really going to have to make some moves and they're going to have to make some moves quickly. So I think the upcoming show in Novi, Michigan will be huge for supplier activity. Um, you know, again, I think like with any show, you got to do your homework. You've got to understand the sector um, and try to position yourself as best you can. Well, we'll have a, uh, a client up there um, who asked me if I was going to be at the show. Uh, unfortunately, I've, I've already uh, been booked that week and I'll be down uh, in the southeast working with some clients down there. But they did ask if you were going to be there. I told them you would. So we'll talk about that uh, after the show uh, finishes recording. I know everybody would like to hear more about it, but you can't. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's the uh, that's the behind the closed doors things you all can't uh, understand unless you're involved in the project. So. Um, you know, the, the battery show to me is really interesting. Um, you look at the battery facilities that have been announced and then recently you had the com battery component facility announced in Hopkinsville. Um, did you all have anything, do you have any relationship with that announcement? Have you all been working with that company at all? <clears throat> no, no, we haven't. Um, I'm not sure whether we might get an opportunity on, you know, at some point. Um, honestly, a big portion of our last 12 months has been really engaged on the design, construction, and pursuits of these OEM, you know, whether, whether it be, uh, you know, the, the Ford project or whether it be working for a lithium battery company like LG, it's really been on pursuing those projects. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was just kind of curious and, and I'm, you know, I'm hearing rumblings of a, yet another battery facility that might be out there looking right now um, that I think could locate in the general vicinity of where that component facility is going. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. You know, and um, it's it just, you know, and the other thing is, so I met with a community a couple of weeks ago that have, a, you know, they're trying to develop a mega site and they were targeting EV lithium battery was one of their targets for good reason, right? I mean, that makes sense to at least be studying it. You know, what I told them was I thought most of the most of the major player projects have already been announced. And there might be another one or two that 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 are announced. But I said, you know, we're going to get these constructed in two to three years, and there's going to be another round. Um, you know, now how quickly that you know, how quickly some of these companies, OEMs start that other round i'm not sure um but i you know i i think you know i also know that if you're developing a big site for a lot of communities that that takes five to ten years so um you know i, I still think there's opportunities even if it's round two of ev automotive lithium battery i think there's opportunities and and communities if they got the right population base and they've got some of the things that are needed 
um, you know, it, right now is the time to be getting ready, even if it's three years, four years away. How do you feel about the semiconductor and the chip side of it? Do you think we're just getting started with those projects? Yeah. So, you know, what, what I know is, is that, you know, the, I, I'm, I'm pretty really familiar with the Intel announcement, you know, what just outside of Columbus, Ohio, familiar with it. Um, of course we've got, we're involved in the Taylor, Texas project for Samsung. Um, you know, those are huge, huge announcements, multi-phases, big CapEx, um, you know, everything that I know about semiconductors says that there's others who are going to make announcements. Um, you know, seems like there's some leaning toward Texas for various reasons, uh, but others that are making going to make announcements. And if I was, you know, if I was hunting the big project, uh, the OEM, and that's, you know, a couple of weeks ago when I was talking to that other community, I told them, if you want to, if you think you're ready and you want to go after a big EV automotive related company right now, to me, semiconductors, those are the types of folks to go after. Um, huge CapEx though, and, and huge job numbers. So you have a really big population base. Um, but but there's, I really think that's kind of the next huge wave and it's upon us already. I mean, there'll be some other yeah. announcements, I think pretty quick. Yeah, the Taylor, Texas deal is uh, 10,000 jobs. I mean, that's that's insane. I mean, Taylor's a, a suburb of Austin, but Taylor itself is only 10,000 people. So uh, obviously that thing's going to pull from a, a large labor shed. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, there's going to be a huge impact to that community. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Well, I want to take a quick break, um, which we typically do about midway through uh, the podcast. And then we'll be right back with Tim Weston of Jesco on the next Move Group We Are Jobs podcast. In today's Executive Search Spotlight, Forest City, Arkansas's Industrial Development Commission is searching for an economic development director. Pay is going to be between eighty dollars and $110,000, so very good paying for this area. For those of you all not familiar with Forest City, it is located about 45 minutes from Memphis. there in the northeast corner of Arkansas, and the economic development director will be responsible for all economic development activities for Forest City as well as St. Francis County. Big labor shed of about one and a half million people. So I urge you to go look at this job profile on our website. There is a large, large industrial building sitting empty, several properties, some of them with rail access, uh, that close to Memphis, a lot of opportunities to win. Please go check this out for more information on our website, thenextmovegroup.com backslash Forest City. And we are back on the next Move Group We Are Jobs podcast. Tim Weston is with us from Jesco. And Tim, you uh, just had a nice little announcement personally, professionally, I would say, uh, as uh, being elected to secretary treasurer of SEDC. Yeah, yeah, that was um, that, that was good. You know, I'll, I'll be honest, I probably didn't spend enough um, time giving back within the economic development community early in my career, you know, I probably, I mean, honestly, looking back, I was just so consumed with, you know, the task at hand, whether it be at the local level or, or TVA, I probably, you know, I went to the conferences, I, you know, 
I, I got the benefit of, you know, state conferences and SEDC, but I probably didn't pay enough attention and didn't get involved enough to help out. So, um, you know, I'm in my 27th year and um, I'm excited about what's going on at the SEDC, Southern Economic Development. And uh, so I, I thought it was a good time. I've been on the board for now for a couple of years. So I ran for that position and was lucky enough to get it. So I'm excited. Um, about you know what's going to happen at SEDC over the next few years, and and uh, and glad and to to you know do my part to help the profession of economic development. Look, I, I'm you've heard this. I know I probably told it in a lot of different phases, from you know the morning uh, to late night in a bar. But I really believe economic development is a calling um, that's right up there. I mean, I think a, the number one calling is faster. Who leads you to Christ? Number two calling is a doctor who can save your life and keep you healthy. And then I really believe number three is economic development. Um, if you don't believe that, be without a job. Uh, have a family without a job. Have a father or a mother uh, that has lost their job and got kids and not sure how they're going to pay the bills. Um, and you'll you'll know what hope uh, you'll know what hope is and and what a job brings and. And for you economic developers listening, don't ever, I know it's tough, but don't ever, ever, ever not understand how important you are to the communities and the states and the regions that you serve. All you got, maybe you're lucky enough to have never been in a spot where you couldn't pay for what needed to be paid for your family. I hope so, but I'm just here to tell you I have been. And and uh, and what you do and what you bring to families uh, is a most important thing. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And, um, you know, I'm not diminishing folks who haven't been through something like that. But for those of us who have, uh, who experienced it growing up, uh, been through it personally, um, I think that hardens your senses when it comes to being in economic development. If you've happened to have been in those situations and you also have that calling into economic development, um, it just elevates your passion uh, for the career field and for the work that you do. And I think it's really great that you're going to serve on the SEDC board, serve as a mentor to those who are coming into the profession and, and a leadership role, and for them to be able to hear those messages. Because, you know, we have a lot of people who are coming into the business these days, and, you know, they didn't grow up like you and I did. They didn't have to have those issues. And even with the record number of <laughs> recessions and, and catastrophic events that have happened since the year 2000, um, Still doesn't quite pale in it pales a little bit in comparison to some of the rough economic times that occurred prior to, uh, you know, in the 70s and the 80s, uh, growing up, uh, and you know the lack of opportunity that was out there, especially in rural areas. And so, uh, I, I like I said, I agree 100% with that, and and I hope that uh, you know you all continue to work towards more mentorship programs with SEDC. Um, I was on the board for a little bit myself. Uh, of course, I was a little, little younger uh, when I was doing that. And so I didn't have uh, quite the experience I needed to, to be an effective board member, I think, at the time. And so uh, maybe one of these days, 10 years from now, uh, when, when I've had that kind of experience under my belt, I'll be able to, to give some back as well. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I couldn't agree. And, you know, we just brought just Matt Tackett just came on, who is a Kentucky guy like you. Um, you know, so that's part of the energy and excitement um, that I'm feeling and a lot of people are feeling. And 
Uh, of course, Gene Stenson recently retired after a long, distinguished career leading SCDC. You know, had led SCDC for most of my career. Um, and now Matt's coming in, renewed energy, just, a, you know, going to take us to the even the next level, build upon what Gene's been had been doing. And um, it's just a really exciting time. If if you're listening and you're in in the SCDC area, I hope you'll consider membership because um, it really is a, a quality organization that I think does a lot for its members. I agree. There's a lot of good programming, but at the same time, you know, just as important and as impactful is getting to sit down with folks who've been in the business for a long time. I mean, my first SEDC uh, was in Asheville, North Carolina, and uh, uh, Chad uh, took me down there and said, look, here's a list of people I want you to go and talk to and ask advice from. Probably one of the better things a mentor could have done uh, because he was saying, there's a lot of people who've got some experience and you just need to go up to them and ask them advice. Just what piece of advice would you give me? And so I spent that, uh, I was only good, got to be there for a day because we went on a recruitment mission to Canada. And, uh, but I spent my entire time uh, just going up and asking people for advice uh, and, you know, starting in the career field. And so that to me was invaluable. And obviously every SEDC I went to after that, when really any conference, it didn't matter if it was SEDC, IEDC, uh, state conference. Um, I always ask those questions of folks who've been in the business for a long time. And speaking of Tackett, um, I was on the board of uh, Kentucky Association for Economic Development. I was a chairman and uh, selecting the, our incoming chairman and uh, was on the selection committee for him to come in. And, uh, you know, he impressed me with his interview, uh, the fact that he brought in a, a strategic plan <laughs> in a three ring binder. And uh, he had had experience running an association before. And I thought that was really key and important uh, as, uh, you know, they were trying to get the state association to grow and he did a good job, did a good job with it. So I'm glad to hear that everybody's excited about him. Yeah, no doubt. So uh, I want to shift a little bit here and, and talk some about uh, bourbon. Everybody has gotten used to me talking about bourbon and uh, it's, it's kind of funny. Uh, I didn't know how people would take it at first, but you'd be surprised at how many people will call me or text me or message me about advice on bourbon purchases. <laughs> Now, hey, what, what do you think about this bottle? Uh, did I get a, get a good deal on this one or that one? What was the last good bourbon you had? So, uh, you know, I, I'm one of those guys, I think, that touch base with you every once in a while on bourbons. So, you know, my history is, a, uh, I guess I would be the pirate because my history is more in Jack Daniels whiskey. Um, as a young, for whatever reason, I acclimated to it. And even in college, um, I walked around with water and uh, maybe Jack Daniels in my back pocket. So, um, you know, Jack has single barrel Jack is probably still one of my primary go, go to's. But because of you, Chuck, I probably I just have gotten some uh, Weller, um, you know, and been sipping on it. Really like it. Um, and then my wife, who is just a princess of a woman, um, you know, I, I, I'm the kind of guy that when I go buy pants, I buy three of the exact same khaki pants <laughs> and I wear them until they're, you know, till they're done. I throw them three away and go buy three more. So, um, probably not a variety guy as much as I should be. So what my wife does is... She oftentimes will go and find a bourbon and buy it for me. And 
and I'll try that out. You know, so stuff that I would never buy, honestly. So, I, you know, one thing I, I drank the other day, Chuck, that and I know it's not a high-end kind of thing, but it was really different, and I really liked it, was Woodford Reserve Double Oaked. Oh, buddy. Um, it, don't say it's not high-end. That's a great bourbon. I mean, I really liked it. And I don't – and I like Woodford Reserve fine. I mean, fine. To me, Woodford Reserve is a really good, you know, run-of-the-mill, good quality drink. But I don't know that I would have bought Woodford Reserve Double Oaked. I think I probably would have overlooked it. And But she did. Thank goodness for, for Christy. Um, she bought it. And, man, I really liked it. And I'll buy it again. Um, so – yeah, I, I just so I, we uh, tried to. I was gonna say I just finished up a bottle of that the other night myself. So. I really liked it. I really did. Have, but, you heard, uh, have you heard of the double double oaked from Woodford? No. So they put out some special um, uh, bourbons from time to time. Uh, they've got one called Woodford Masters Collection, which comes in a really uh, beautiful bottle, and those are sort of like different tests that the master distiller will do. And there was one that was aged in a sherry cask after it aged in a, bur in, a, in a bourbon barrel and then uh on the double oaked so double oaked woodford uh goes through its normal cycle and then it is taken out of the barrel instead of being uh bottled as regular woodford it's left to age for an extra six months in a new charred oak barrel so it, it's almost like it's it's getting reinvigorated again the double double oaked is left in that barrel for 12 months and it's a limited run. It's hard to find. And it only comes in a pint bottle. And I have got a bottle of it at my house. So if you like the double oaked, you'll love the double double. And uh, maybe next time we get together, I might have that bottle with me. <laughs> that sounds good. That sounds good. Um, I um, I got some good deals the other day. Uh, I'm always out hunting for a good deal on bourbon. And um, the... Uh, Colonel Taylor single barrel is one of my absolute all-time favorites. And it's one of the most difficult ones to find. So anybody out there listening to the podcast, if you ever come across a, a bottle of Colonel Taylor single barrel, uh, feel free to give me a call and tell me you spotted it. Cause there's a high likelihood I'm going to have you ship it to me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so I, I talked to a guy at the SEDC conference and he was talking about the Blanton facility and that they have like on Tuesdays and Fridays or something, you can go in there, you can buy or what, maybe it's wherever it's made and you can, but one of the things you can buy is Blanton and, and you can only buy so much of it every so many months. But he was talking about that. He had a lot of Blanton and he buys it for like 50, $60 from the Blanton facility. So you can only buy, buy like one bottle and then you can't buy any more for a couple of months or something. That's right. It's called Blanton's jail. And what they do when you go to the store uh, and you pick one up uh, at the store at the distillery and you pick one up off the shelf, they scan your license and uh, you're kept in their system. And then you can't buy another one for three months. So wow. it's all their allocations. You know, the, there's allocations in the bourbon world now. And yeah. so they, they only allow so many to go to certain liquor stores and they only allow purchases at the distillery uh, one every three months. But what they do there, and it, that's made by Buffalo Trace in, in Frankfurt. And they make a lot of great bourbons at Buffalo Trace. They make Weller, they make Sazerac, they make, which Sazerac's a rye. Um, they make Stag Jr. They make Pappy Van Winkle there, Blanton's, Rock Hill Farms, uh, Elmer T. Lee, Colonel Taylor. 
Um, let's see, what else do they make there? They make a lot, a lot of them. Ancient Age. And some of that's through acquisition. You know, Buffalo Trace acquired a lot of the older distilleries um, and pulled those products under their roof. And so what they do is every single day, you can check the Buffalo Trace website and it'll tell you what bottle they might have that's an allocation on the shelf that day, like Eagle Rare. And so you can go there uh, ahead of, and you know ahead of time before you get there uh, what they have in the store so you can go up and pick it up. Wow. That's the benefit of living close to Frankfurt, right? Yeah, uh, I'm not too close to Frankfurt. I'm, I'm a couple hours away. But, uh, you know, back in uh, my, my former career uh, field uh, as a local economic developer, I would go to Frankfurt quite often, obviously. And yeah. so every time I was there, I'd pick up a bottle of Blanton's. And you can get the Blanton's there for, you know, 56, I think it's $57 now. Uh, yeah. Shelf there. And um, it back then, you know, it was grab however many you want. And then all of a sudden with the bourbon boom, you can't do that anymore. It's kind of aggravating. <laughs> it's annoying when you, you have some bourbons you really, really like, and all of a sudden they get popular and you can't find them anymore. I um, I don't know if you saw, they've been doing some auctions uh, for uh, flood relief and some of those things with some rare bourbons that you can get. And there was one that had the uh, what's called the antique collection from Buffalo Trace. And if you have that whole collection, it's five bottles. It's it's worth about $10,000 on the secondary market. Uh, but they had another uh, bottle that was being auctioned and it's called Double Eagle Very Rare. Have you ever had regular Eagle Rare? No. Uh -uh. So a regular Eagle Rare is an eight-year bourbon. Double Eagle Very Rare um, is a 20-year bourbon. And they only made 297 bottles of that, I think. And I have seen bottles of it online, secondary, secondhand for up to $20,000 for a bottle. <laughs> it's insane. But they were auctioning one off for flood relief. And it was at uh, 18000 when I when I checked that auction. It's wow. just insane. I mean, you, you could have invested in all these bourbons real easy 10 years ago. And just be making money hand over fist right now. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah, I know. So I've, I've got a friend of mine that has, um, you know, he did the same thing with old cars in the 80s. You know, these Mopar muscle cars that are now worth, you know, $200,000. He's got them sitting in a shop. And, uh, you know, and he and he says, and he's right. Same thing with bourbon. He's making, you know, he put his money in that and it's making a whole lot more than it would have in the stock exchange. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I haven't been uh, paying as close attention to, to, to my uh, funds lately because uh, they didn't perform so well uh, over the last 12 months. But, um, you know, I'll probably be sinking some more in uh, post-recession next year uh, or right before uh, I think it's going to turn uh, just to try to make some money back on on mine. So yeah. I, um, I'd like to give you the last word before we wrap up the podcast. Is there anything that we didn't cover today that you would like to make sure that economic developers out there know? Well, I would just say, you know, whether it's inflation or whether it's, you know, pending, you know, wars, whatever, you know, there's always, you know, we go through ups and downs, right? From an economic and from an economy standpoint, um, you know, so, if we're moving toward a downturn, let's say, and things are slowing down a little bit, it, you know, that is absolutely the time to be preparing to take advantage because it's always, no matter how good it gets or no matter how bad it gets, it's always going to come back around. 
So, um, you know, just as economic developers, just stay the course. You know, this is a long game. And for your communities, this is a long game. Um, stay the course. Invest in product. Know who your manu know your manufacturers really well from a retention expansion standpoint. Understand what's going on in the marketplace, what sectors are hot, what sectors aren't. Understand where projects are moving and taking. Um, and understand competitively where you fit into all that and and play the long game. You know, position you in your in your career and, and your organization to be competitive and to stay in economic development for the long term. Um, and and that that's kind of where you need to spend your time, no doubt. Chuck, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you today. Of course, love working with you and Chad and Alex and the team. And um, just think you all do a just a great job on a lot of different fronts and and uh, really provide a lot of passion and energy in this profession. So really appreciate what the Next Move Group does. Well, we appreciate you and, and all the work we do together. And uh, obviously, thank you for being on the podcast with me today. We've got more great guests coming up in the next few weeks as well, uh, just like Tim. And so uh, I hope that you listen to the podcast. If you do, share it, like it, send it to others, tell other economic developers to tune in as well. We're always uh, bringing on new guests. We will be dipping uh, into the private sector more as we go forward. We've got some private sector uh, guests lined up coming up in the next few weeks. So I hope you look forward to that. Until next time, this is Next Move Group. We are Jobs Podcast. <laughs>